What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, Deanna, Kelsey, and Jennifer share their stories of adoption and foster care as athletic trainers and how that has shaped the their lives and the care that they're able to provide and the connection they're able to build with their student athletes and the people around them. As you guys know, I am uh, a foster parent, so we have one kid, one girl right now we've had a previous set and um it's obviously an important topic to me but it also changes the way that i look at and treat other people you know even just with the with an incident that just recently happened in texas high school football where there was a player that tackled a referee you think well that guy's just a piece of garbage but then you stop and think well maybe he's getting beat at home and so just the trainings that you go through with foster care, not making any excuses for anybody, but the things that happen in adoption and foster care and um, just understanding, but then also opening up the conversation and the, and the opportunity to ask and to share and to, to know what's going on inside of that system. Uh, so I'm here in Texas. Deanna's in Louisiana currently, and Kelsey is in Oklahoma. Is that right, Kelsey? Yep. Yes. Yeah. And so our stories and situations may be slightly different based on laws, and obviously it'll be dependent there. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash adoptedats. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash adoptedats. Jennifer Wheeling is supposed to be joining us. Um, I'm not sure where she is at this moment, but if she joins in, then it'll be Jennifer. Oh, I think she just joined in. There we go. And so um, again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash adoptedats. So I'm I'm thankful for y'all joining and sharing, being willing to share your story and again, answer any questions that people have. And I know Deanna, you have a whole uh, following or fanfare probably watching live on Facebook. So thank you so much for sharing that as well. You're welcome. Why don't you go ahead and start with your story and just kind of wherever you want to start. Well, I'll try to make it as quick uh, as possible. Um, If my, my birth mom was one of the ones that said that she would actually, um, be listening today from California if she set her alarm and woke up in time. But, um, so I think I am, I'm probably part of the 1% that has a, um, a really positive story, uh, in the sense that I have a relationship now with both of my biological parents. Um, and obviously my parents are are good with it and, um, solid in their relationship with me. They, you know, I, I don't correct people, but I, I gently remind people that I have parents and I have my birth parents and my birth parents know where they are in my life. And they're, um, they're obviously wonderful humans. So, but I, but they both know that I wouldn't be where I am without the sacrifice that they made. So, when you asked us to do this and one of your notes was something along the lines of like, how does it improve your practice? Or I started really thinking about just like my story as a whole and my story as a whole, um, really is intertwined with my career as an athletic trainer. Um, back in 2008, I was questioning and I had always been told I was adopted. That was never a secret in our house. I didn't really understand the concept until I was seven years old on the same day that unfortunately I found out that um, other mythological creatures that were told about that bring eggs and presents weren't real, um, that I was adopted. 
by my older brother on the school bus and I was devastated because um, they were all picking on their younger brothers and sisters because if you looked at our family, um, I look just like my parents. My brother looks a little bit different because he's got blonde hair and he's adopted as well. Um, but it was just a total shocker to me. And then I realized when I got home, my mom was like, well, I've always told you, you know? And so, so then after that, I thought it was pretty cool and it was something that I could, um, I never, I, I don't think I ever went through a phase really where I used it against my parents, but, um, I did ask lots of questions. And as I got older, I ended up having a desire to find my biological parents because I started to have some health issues when I was in grad school. And in 2008, I, um, I decided to commit and talk to my parents about that. And I talked to my mom one night and my mom is a, a big believer in the power of prayer. And so we went and got my adoption folder, prayed about it. She asked me if I wanted any of the paperwork. And I said, yeah, I really like this sheet of paper that talks about their likes and dislikes. And she handed it to me and the page right under it happened to be my, um, it said uh, birth mother's address at time of birth. And so I had a Blackberry at the time and I did a cool white pages reverse search and she still, my grandparents still lived there. So I sent them a letter and I say all that to say, when I was in grad school, hustling my butt at football practice one day about the being intertwined, I get a phone call and it's my biological grandparents on the other end of the line while I'm in the training room. So from Jump Street, I'm able to, um, I start, I went out to the parking lot and I started to connect with them. And um, for the next really six weeks, it ended up being a relationship that just slowly started to develop. And and then a year and a half later, again, I'm here I am working a, a basketball game and my birth mom texts me and lo and behold, my birth mom or my birth dad's sister is, is not looking for me necessarily, but we ended up starting a relationship. So here I am in the back of the basketball gym and all my kids knew my story about me and my birth mom. But now here I am starting to develop this relationship with my birth dad and being able to bring that to the training room and have very open, honest conversations with my kids um, really instills a whole new level of trust. And uh, ever since then, since 2011, I've had my completed circle and I've never looked back and it's just a part of my story and who I am and that. I was able to have all of them at my wedding last year for the first time. That's the first time my biological parents saw each other since I was born. And um, it truly has been a, uh, a way to open up conversation with anybody at any time. So that's the quick and dirty. <laughs> all right, so you were adopted from birth? Yes, I was. My birth mom actually picked my parents on March 12th, not knowing if I was a boy or a girl. And on March 29th, I was born. And uh, on March 30th, my birth mom handed me over to my, my parents and said, well, what do you want to name her? And my, my mom said, well, we really like the name Deanna Marie. And my birth mom started crying and said, then this baby's absolutely meant to be yours because I have a niece 
also named Deanna Marie, who's two years older than myself. And uh, it was a name that her brother had stolen from her. So um, I was always meant to be a Rosado. I was always um, meant to have an older brother, you know, in her eyes, in her opinion. And uh, since then, she's gone on to get married. And I have a half brother and sister with her and a half brother with my birth dad. And though the relationship um, isn't always, you know, rainbows and unicorns with when you start introducing other people into into your lives, it has been something that has truly been beautiful. And I feel like due to their sacrifice, I've been given just opportunities I would not have had. And they all know that as well. Um, and they respect I, you know, sometimes I call them Vic and Deb, my parents, they respect their role as my mom and dad. They refer to them as my mom and dad. And, um, and since then, you know, just my story of adoption has been able to open up relationships with either other teachers and professionals that I've worked with who are maybe in the foster care system or questioning foster care. My son's, um, godmother who I consider his godmother. She is now a foster parent. Um, I've had athletes that have come through my training room that are in foster care who have been adopted that haven't felt like they had a voice or could um, adequately express how they felt being an adopted kid. And so I feel like um, that's, again, been another avenue to strengthen my relationship with my kids because we've all been given the opportunity as athletic trainers to, uh, to love on other people's babies. And what a unique experience it is to get to do that. And by having this extra level of, of, I guess, life that happened to you, um, kind of strengthens that, um, you know, it's real. You can, it, it's, uh, it's just being able to be honest and open with your kids and they respect that and appreciate that. So. I got plenty of questions about, you know, kind of how you deal with those things or why you chose certain things. But I'm going to give Kelsey and Jennifer a chance to share their story, and then we'll kind of work all those questions back in. So, all right, Kelsey, you're up next. So Kelsey is, again, joining us. She's working at prior school. She talked about how she is working her dream job as an athletic trainer, kind of at the same school district she graduated from, and just loving it, enjoying it, being an athletic trainer and not doing teaching as well. So, Kelsey, why don't you share us your story? Okay, so my story is probably a little bit different than most. Um, I still am related to my birth family. I was born into a single parent home. So it was just my birth mom. And I had two older siblings. And then I had a younger sister born when I was like three. Uh, the older two siblings were living somewhere else. Um, but my younger sister and I were taken into foster care when I was four the people came to the daycare that I was at, picked me up from daycare. And from there, the process got home. I got put into was actually my aunt and uncle's house. Um, and they, they quickly got me involved in athletics. Uh, when I was four, that's when I started playing soccer. And because of the entire, all of my, well, they're siblings now. But back then, my cousins all played soccer. So they just signed us up to play too. Um, at the age of six, I was officially in adopted by my foster family which was my aunt and uncle so now my aunt my biological aunt and uncle are now my parents and my bi biological mom is 
my aunt. And so the two siblings that weren't adopted are now my cousin. Kind of confusing, but it is what it is. Back when I was a kid, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a doctor. Had the cute little doctor kit that I would play with and stuff. And then when I, that was kind of my goal and my mindset. Athletics throughout high school, uh, ran track and cross country. I didn't know what an athletic trainer was until I got to college. Uh, we didn't have one when I was in high school. So when I got hurt my freshman year, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I was just suffering with the pain. Um, and then my coach was like, why don't you go to the athletic trainer? Which I had no idea what it was. So he took me to one um, and they, um, and that what I want to do. I don't want to do physical therapy. I want to do athletic training because I get to be with athletes every day. So that's how I chose athletic training. Um, and I know that had I not gotten taken from my birth family and put it into the foster family and then got, got adopted, I know that this opportunity of going to college even wouldn't have been a, a thought for me because since I still know my biological siblings, um, I kind of saw the life life path that they had taken and I'm just uh, my biological sister is now like a single mom herself and she kind of followed the same path as her birth mom. So I know for a fact that me being taken out of my birth family was a positive thing for me in my life because it brought forth a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's called, or at least here in Texas, we call that like kinship or fictive kin. Uh, I think fictive is um, when it's like a close family friend, but kinship adoption. Um, and again, for people that aren't familiar with the foster care system. So foster, like the, the baby that we have is absolutely not related to us. If you like, see any of the pictures, she's black and I'm obviously very white. Um, so she's not related to us at all, but this is a kinship adoption that you're adopted by your aunt and uncle. So, and again, that's even, even more questions I got there just cause that was through foster care. And uh, you said at the age of six, you were adopted. Is that right? Jennifer, are you with us? You ready to start? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. So um, I'm a little older than your other two guests. And um, I've been, um, I was adopted at birth um, back in the 60s. I was born 67. There was a little more um, stigma, I think, with being a single mother and um, a little more drama. So I was born on Christmas and my adoptive parents um, did not take physical possession of me until January 26th um, because they were geographically close. And so they moved me through several um, temporary foster homes so that I wouldn't be traceable. And so, um, which ended up being a, a moot point. Um, and directly uh, being adopted really didn't have anything with my story of becoming an athletic trainer. Other than my mom was a nurse and my dad was a teacher and I'm now a high school athletic trainer. So I'm pretty sure I subconsciously melded those <laughs> without a, I don't think it was a conscious decision, but um, um, my mom being a nurse, when I became interested in sports medicine, and athletic training, she would take me to um, local, I'm from the Champaign, Illinois area. And she would take me to little sports medicine um, things. I wouldn't know anything they were talking about. This was junior high. I wouldn't know the words they were saying, whatever. And she'd help explain everything to me and those sorts of things. 
Um, I knew I was adopted from birth. Uh, the first book I ever remember my parents reading me is now out of print, but it was called The Chosen One. And it explained to adoptive children about how special you were, that your parents went and found you and, you know, all that. So there's never, ever been any, um, I have never had any mental or emotional angst over being adopted. Um, my brother, who is not my biological brother, he has not either. Um, he jokes now at our age that he wants to find his biological parents in case they've been sticking away $5 a week for him ever since he was born. But that's about the extent of his interest in it. So um, my mom passed away in 08 and my dad's interest in my birth parents for some reason grew. Um, Illinois has an adoption registry and both parties can um, provide as much or as little information as they as you want. And that is shared if anything matches. And mine, I did um, sign up for that and mine did not match. So which means nobody from my biological family had reached out in the same way. So I did a Google search at one point. I'm pretty sure I found my birth mother. Um, however, the fact that I have no emotional angst over being adopted and I don't know what her mental status is about it. I feel no need to reach out to her and disrupt her life, especially at her current age, she'd be in her seventies. And so, um, I've had no major medical issues that I felt I needed information for. So, um, but as far as being adopted, I think that helps in a healthcare setting because the bloodline, the, the bloodlines are blurred and just has, um, has been mentioned before, the kids, my student athletes, my patients are my kids from the time they get out of school until the time I let them go back to their homes. And that's how I treat them. That's how I see them. Um, I have adopted, not legally, but I've taken many kids into my home. Um, my eldest goddaughter lives with me, um, and she better be up for school, <laughs> but, um, um, she lives with me. I have three godchildren, um, one of each of whom's parents were one of my former student athletes, um, which I think I just don't see blood as what makes a family only. And there's plenty, I work in Washington, DC, and I see plenty of blood family that, are very dysfunctional and, and not healthy situations for the students. So I just think it, it, it makes us open to compassion and, and open to, um, you know, having a familial feeling that, that maybe birth children, I mean, birth children who are with their birth parents maybe don't experience in the same, same way. I don't, I don't know since I'm not one, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just think it makes me very open to, to, you know, seeing all kids as my kids and treating them as such. Now, you mentioned you were adopted at birth. When did you know or find out that you were adopted? I've never not consciously known. So literally, they read that book to us. I, that's, the o that's the only book I clearly remember them ever reading to us. And, and I have no, I mean, Clearly, I wouldn't have known what adoption really meant, but I, I don't have any memory of not knowing I was adopted. And so it's always been a part of who I am. So never an issue. And all my life, um, people will say, oh, my gosh, you look just like your dad or you and your brother look so much alike. And we just laugh. And, um, you know, because I mean, technically we don't, but um, there's enough similarities. My brother, my dad and I are all the exact same height. 
Um, you know, things like that. So, but it's just kind of a little family joke. We're like, haha, okay, thanks, cool, you know. <laughs> so all right, so we had this, we had the same book too, Jennifer. It, oh, you uh, might be a little older than I thought you were. <laughs> no, no, well, I'm 35. I don't care. I'll say it. I'm 35. But um, yeah, I actually bought the book um for a friend of mine who was fostering and they've now adopted both theirs and um I bought it for them on either eBay or Amazon and it was like used copy and I was like well no crap it's a used copy and right. it came in and this poor book like I bought it for like four dollars and it still had like it had pages taped into it and the tape was all faded and my parents had saved our copy because like you said I never didn't know. I just didn't realize at seven years old when I was like, wait, that's what that means, you know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we, we read the, we read the same book. And so I've bought it for friends of mine as well, but yeah, it's not in print anymore. So you have to get a used copy. Yeah. And, and strangely enough, my mom kept a lot of our stuff and that was not in her stuff. My dad passed away the summer and it wasn't. Yeah. I don't know oh. what they ever did. Yeah. I don't know what they did with it. So yeah, I still idea. have, I, we still have ours. I think I chewed on the edge of it it's in a <laughs> box in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I couldn't even remember the text specifically, but I just know that, you know, it just speaks to how special you are, that your parents went looking for you, yeah. that you know, it was meant to be. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that's always, that's just always, and my parents, I feel like you do. I was placed where I was meant to be mm -hmm. and I couldn't have asked for better parents. Had, no. had a kid been allowed to choose parents. Yeah. I couldn't have asked for any better parents. Oh, a hundred percent. Like my, yeah. my parents, you know, I just... I have a great relationship with them. And like I said, I do, I am fortunate. Like I'm probably a part of the 1% that has a relationship with my birth mom who actually texted me. She's watching. Um, okay. I have a relationship with my birth mom and my birth dad and his wife, you know, and all my siblings, but without the sacrifice that they made and without my parents wanting to um, make the sacrifice that it takes to adopt. Cause that there's a sacrifice there as well. Um, that it takes to open up your own heart to love. Like you said, blood doesn't make family. And I've learned that more and more as I've grown up, you know, I married a, a wonderful man who's got a daughter who quite honestly, and my mom pointed out to me at Thanksgiving, she could not be any more like me some days. <laughs> and the things that frustrate me about her, um, he, she's like, that's you. Like, I hope you realize that, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I didn't have to birth her to love her. And, yeah. um, so I feel fortunate that I'm able to bring that to the table and that background, but. All right. So y'all a couple of times that it, it opens up conversations and, um, allows you to have more compassion. What are some of the ways that you've shared your story? Cause it's not like you have a, a billboard or placard outside your thing saying, Hey, I'm adopted. Right. So everybody sees it, but what are some of the ways that you have shared that? I mean, for me, it was, uh, other people have said things that spark that, that open up the door. You know, I, I remember back in 2014, we were doing testing and there was like breaking in between state testing and a teacher across the hall who I had only talked to a couple times was out in the hallway, frantically texting, um, her, what is it called? It, you, you would know, Jeremy, when you have a foster kid, you're, the person with, that works with the state. 
yeah well, here it's the dfps or yeah the so she was texting her person about their little boy and i was like oh how old is he you know and we start talking and he's the same age as my son and then she starts just telling this story about um how he's in foster care and and how her and her husband work at different high schools and how it's been challenging to try to get him to the necessary appointments. And so I just kind of, I just happened to mention, Oh, I'm, I, I'm adopted. And, uh, it literally segued so much into our relationship that now her second child that she's adopted has my middle name. So, you know, people just happen to open up the door I don't go, like you said, I don't go around with a billboard across my, you know, face or anything, but people, I think when you're in this profession, you just develop relationships differently. And we're all called to this profession because I think we all have very similar personalities. And so when someone says something and I'm passionate about athletic training and adoption, um, and my husband and my kids, those are probably like, <laughs> and my relationship with Christ. So, I mean, those are like my top five. And so if somebody opens up the door to, to have a conversation, I'm going to have a conversation. And, um, and then you just start to get to know each other and it reinforces that relationship and that trust that you end up having with somebody. So, Kelsey's the same way. She adopted me at a conference a couple of years ago. <laughs> I was lost. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was in the session. She's like, come on, come with us. <laughs> it goes both ways. You can adopt older people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my Kelsey, one of my staff members. I'm your 18 grandma, Kelsey. <laughs> one of my staff members yesterday, she commented on our new family picture and she said, I want to be a Melanson. And she said, can I Venmo you? And so she Venmoed me a dollar and said, now I'm a Melanson. So I like it. I was like, well, that was easy. Yeah, it's funny how everybody, um, like when you say, oh, yeah, I'm adopted, they're like, you're adopted? Like that was mm -hmm. something they should have known. I'm like, you can't tell. I mean, it, yeah, it's not like, just like you said, it's not a billboard you have or, mm -hmm. you know, anything. And it's nothing you just automatically bring up into conversation, like, hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm an athletic trainer and I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't care. And so yeah. just put it on the top of my resume. Just right. <laughs> Jennifer Reeling adopted. Yeah. <laughs> so it just people just talk because yeah. you know you develop relationships and for my bio mom, it really came down to the fact that when I first um, so like I said, I have a I have a I have two siblings with her. I have my little brother and sister. So when I found my birth mom, they were four and seven. Um, and she waited until her and her husband, their dad had come to see me and meet me to make sure I wasn't like a crazy person. Um, and before they told them about me, they basically went on like vacation, uh, together. They came out to meet me. And then when they went back, they took them some goodies. And by the way, you have a, you have an older sister and this is kind of how it happened. And I think they kept it very vague for them. But um, they were also super excited. I think I remember my little sister saying something along the lines of like, now I could, she had somebody to like do her hair and play Barbies with her. So now they are 16 and 19. And so the first time I went out there, like I said, they were four and seven. And um, 
they're like, mom, mom, mom. And so I didn't want it to be weird when I was with them. If I was like, Hey, Janine, you know, and they're, and they're like, but you're our sister. And so I started calling her. I really don't even remember where it came from, but I, I call her mama J and that's what she is in my phone too. She goes by J nine sometimes. Cause that's kind of how her version of Janine is spelled. And so I just started calling her mama J and then, um, for, and, and again, when it was funny, I guess it deserves to be said here. When I found my birth mom, my, my dad was like, yeah, was like super pumped for me. And my mom was like, uh, yeah, good. I'm super pumped for you. I mean, she had sat there and prayed with me. I don't know if she didn't know it was going to happen, but you know, she struggled for a little while with that transition and now she's good and secure in our relationship. And then the tables kind of turned when I found my birth dad, my dad was like, ah. and my birth and my mom was like, yeah. So, but for him, so for my birth dad, I've called him a couple different things. It started with just his name, just Danny. And then, um, we went on a vacation together, um, about, I don't know, eight months after I found them and my half brother with him is autistic. And so for him, it took him years to really just kind of put it together. Like, how did my dad have a kid? Like he, his wife, Danny's wife has kids from a previous marriage. So Corey has grown up with them. So he's always known them and knows where they came from because mom was married first. But you mean to tell me my dad wasn't married first, but somehow had a kid? Like, how does that happen? And so when I was around them for those extended periods of times, I just started calling him Pops um, because it was kind of like dad, but not dad. And um, that really was more for Corey's sake to help him with that, um, that kind of awkward newness. And now, um, now again, you know, when I am able to make it out to California to go see my brother and sister and my birth mom, um, really just call her mom at this point. But when we were, when they were little, um, you know, to help distinguish because they were in my first wedding, um, my little brother and sister were. And so to help them differentiate between who my parents were and their mom and dad, um, it just, it was really more for them than it was for me. Cause I feel like I could call Janine, Janine, or I could call her mom or mama J. And at this point, my mom does not, it does not phase her now, nor does it phase anybody else. So, but it's really more for the siblings than myself. Okay. So we were just talking about, um, like how you chose to, to call mom and dad or, you know, you said you were adopted by your aunt and uncle. So did like, how did that play out for you? Um, well, when I was four, like when I first got put into the home, I uh, called them Aunt Kim and Uncle Keith. Like that, that was how I referred to them as. And they made sure to keep it that way. Because at first it was an unknown, like kind of what was going to happen with the situation. Because the goal was obviously to be put back into my birth family's home. Um, so they they always just made it, made sure that I knew, knew them as Aunt Kim and Uncle Keith. And then um, I think it was maybe after 
my adoption was final is when they were like you can and everyone I had three older siblings like three cousins that lived there too and they called them mom and dad so that's what I heard all day every day and so I think it was just kind of na- like a natural switch for me which is like oh because everyone else called you mom and dad um but I do remember being like seven or eight and I remember crying to my mom because I was like I don't know who my kids are gonna call grandma I was like why is that even a, a worry at at seven or eight years old and um I joke about it with my mom now and she's like well do you have your answer do you know who your kids would call grandma like well yeah of course like I would have them call you like you would be their grandma um, just because she's the one that raised me. So it now it's just completely normal for me to, for that to be my mom. Like when I tell people my story, I'm like, yeah, my, my birth mom is now my aunt and my my aunt is now my mom. And they're like, what? <laughs> but it's kind of a confusing story. But now to me, it's just completely normal. And I think it's weird that I still see my birth mom all the time, talk to her at family events, talk to her all the time, um, just hung out with my biological sister the past saturday so it's just completely normal for me now kelsey like i mentioned earlier my goddaughter lives with me and that's difficult sometimes because her mom is still in the area and and whatever so did your birth mom and your mom have any issues like did your birth mom try to contribute to how you were raised or anything like that did it cause any conflict um if something like that did happen my mom like it was kind of kept under wraps like you wouldn't have they, known. Yeah, they they did their best to protect us from anything that would hurt our feelings or whatever. So we didn't see any of that conflict. It was a, if that happened, it was behind closed doors. So I'm not sure. So Jennifer, kind of continue on there, um, talking about taking kids into your home, having your goddaughter live with you. Um, you know, obviously having a high school student taken into your home and living with you is kind of a it's a story that I've heard before but it it's something that would be difficult and you know like a lot of legal type questions so talk a little bit about how you foster those kids even if it's not legal so I'm from Paxton Illinois which is a really small uh, town north of Champaign there it probably wouldn't have happened because more people are it's smaller and, and more people are directly involved and the, the legal aspects would have had to been addressed. Unfortunately, here in Washington, D.C., in the school system I work in, a lot of my, my students are um, in very unstable home structures. And so it really was more of me just filling a need and the parents weren't really involved enough to uh, maybe it was a relief. Maybe in some ways it was a relief and um, you know, financially or, or otherwise, or um, we, we have some families that have enough children that once the older children get to a certain age and can kind of fend for themselves, they let them fend for themselves because they're dealing with their younger siblings or whatever. So it's never really been an issue. I've taken great pains to protect myself. um, And some of them have been male students. So I take great pains. You know, I never have lived alone when I've had a male student, you know, living with me. Um, 
uh, you know, those kinds of things, but um, it's really never been an issue. So um, I just think I'm in an environment where there's a little looser. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be, <laughs> I'm trying to be a diplomatic, um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's just not been an issue. So there's a lot of stuff though, like being in a low income school system. Um, we don't really have, we're not back in school. I haven't been to work since March 9th and there's not a lot of parental outcry for engagement or anything. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of apathy here. And so that's kind of the situation we're in. All right. So I'm in the middle of foster care. Like I said, we, during the beginning of quarantine, quarantine started for us around March 10th. And I think April 1st is whenever we got our uh, foster daughter that we have now that we had for you know eight months. Um, so as, as we work through this process of, you know, what is she going to call us? What are her siblings, her you know, bio, bio parents, that, that, like, what are we going to name those things? And then just building and establishing those relationships. Um, talk to me a little bit more about the need to, to have that information. I know, Jennifer, you said you've never really had that. Kelsey, your situation is to where you kind of grew up knowing and, and connecting with both. And then, Nina, with yours it was at one point in your life so talk to me a little bit more about just that situation of having the information available to to be able to connect for me you know jennifer you know congrats to you not having like health issues kelsey you still have a relationship you know my birth mom was also adopted um which i've always known since i found out i was adopted that she was also adopted um, and then my birth dad's um, mom passed away when my birth dad was very young. And so, and he kind of had a little bit of a toxic relationship with his dad. But I think it's important to keep, if you have the ability for me to know, because like I said, like I had health issues and things like that. Um, I started to experience, I guess it wasn't health issues. I was... I don't drink coffee. And so I was drinking a lot of Cokes to stay awake <laughs> during grad school um, for comps and tests and things like that. And so I started to develop these crazy kidney stones, like massive amounts of kidney stones. And so when they, when they did a scan on me, they realized I had a little bit of an enlarged heart and some other things. And so that's really what sparked it and sparked me wanting to know. I, I know plenty of people who my, my brother, he has, he has no health history as far as like families uh, or, or like his biological parents and he's just fine. But for me, it didn't come down to like this, like I've all, I, I guess it did come down to this. Like I have this, I, I just think as a female, there's a lot of females who just innately want to be mamas at some point. And so along with wanting to be a mama, I think you kind of they're all, you also want those puzzle pieces of what your past looks like. And that's really what it was for me is one day when I became a mom, like I wanted to have as complete of a story as possible. Um, my birth mom has searched for her birth parents and has kind of been met kind of like you said, Jennifer, where there was like a registry and stuff. You know, she, she dug a little bit deeper and, and sent, sent a letter and, and didn't get anything back. And the, 
she's now at a point in her life at 53 um, that she's in a good place with that, I think, personally. But it took a long time for her to get there. For me, I think I just got lucky that I was able to fill those gaps to feel, for me, to feel whole. Um, but that was a personal thing. I don't think everybody is like that, though. I don't, I, like Jennifer said, she's good, you know. For me, when I met my birth mom, I felt, I thought, like, my story was good. I didn't ever anticipate meeting my birth dad. That was going to be land yap as far as I was concerned. Um, but now I feel like I have this whole picture and I'm able to, I don't I, I guess the best way to put it is I just feel whole now. And it, and it wasn't even, and I thought, and there's been different points in this journey that I've been on since 2008 that I felt like, okay, well that, that ends the book. That's the last chapter of this book. And then all of a sudden there's like a, there's a sequel and there's another another chapter to the book of meeting my dad, my birth dad, and then another chapter and another, you know, all these things that just kept adding on to my story and making it complete. And then last February, I went to my birth mom's house just to, to visit. I took my husband out there and we went to visit them because I hadn't seen her in a while. And um, she had actually in a move found this folder. And in this folder was a, was pages from like a journal that she had written in while she was pregnant with me. And again, like I said, I thought my story was done. I was like freaking star Wars, right? Like I had done movies four five and six and here all of a sudden was one, two and three in this folder. And it was journals of while she was pregnant with me. And so to get to, because I think parents have this fortunate ability to tell their children that they birth their story their story of how they met their dad and how they maybe got married and bought a house. And then they, they experienced a gender reveal and it's rainbows and unicorns for some of these kids. And I know for my son, like I have the ability to tell him everything I experienced, but I didn't have that. And then when she found this journal, it was like movie number three for me. Like it linked it all together that now I have I know my story. I know where my mom was in her life as a senior in high school, um, dealing with a pre an unplanned pregnancy to a man that was in college, whose parents, you know, their parents didn't exactly see eye to eye. You know, she missed out on concerts because she was pregnant with me. She missed out on her senior track se season because of me. And so being able to now experience that from her point of view in those journals I just feel like I now view life a little bit differently. So, um, and like she's always said, she gave me a pair of earrings when she first found me and they were like these little open hearts. And she said, I just had an open heart about everything that I knew it would come full circle someday that you were going to be a successful human because of the pain that I went through at 18 years old. And she's not wrong. And I'm better because of it. And I have, a, I have these relationships because of it. Um, I have this opportunity because of it. Um, and adoption really is really stinking great um, and has the ability to be great. Um, so I hope that answered your question.
Kelsey, before you jump in, I would say to Jeremy, well, and I'll say to the group, to everybody, um, it's not that I'm not curious. I'd love to know. I'm six feet tall. Who did I get that from? You know, those kinds of things. Um, I'm curious what they look like. Do I look like any of them? You know, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. I am curious, but yeah, not enough to disrupt someone's life mm-hmm. for just plain curiosity. And right. yeah, if I had a need to know, then I would, but um yeah. Otherwise I just really don't. And the NATA is keeping me busy. So trying to find time to uh, uh, chase all that down would be difficult. But Jeremy, my advice to you would be my mom had a greater knowledge of some of the actual details and she never wrote that down. And prior to her death, I didn't care. And now I'm curious and I wish she'd have written that down or whatever. But it, it's the it's your it's your kid's choice, you know. Just have the information, and they'll let you know. Like my goddaughter, um, the kids at school call me Ma um, or Miss mm-hmm. Reeling, and she's always known me as Jennifer. Well, she goes to my high school that I work at or not work at right now, and um, so it took her a few months of hearing all the other kids call me Ma, Ma, Ma. Now she calls me Ma. And, um, you know, but they'll find what they're comfortable with and they'll find, they'll let you know what they need to know, you know, just be open, um, and be ready for the day they turn and say something that you weren't expecting good or bad. You know, the first time they turn and call you dad, roll with it. Don't make it a big deal. Just roll Mm -hmm. with it, you know, so they're not freaked out by it. And, uh, but you know, um, it just let the child, you know, lead you to, to what needs to happen. So have the information that's, available. That's how I am with my stepdaughter. You know, I, I don't I don't call her my stepdaughter in most conversations, but to just distinguish for you, yeah. she always wanted to call. She she would say, well, why can't I call Miss Deanna mom? And my husband and her mom had had made very strict rules about that, that he was dad and she was mom in paperwork. I'm never going to buck that. I'm never. um I feel like I I get that from probably because of the perspective that I have the ability to come from. And I just told her like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can call me Miss Deanna for the rest of your life. And that's fine. You know, my athletes like you, Jennifer, they called, they used to call me mama D, you know? And so, but she picked the name Yaya and every once, so she calls me Yaya for the most part. And every once in a while, um, her mom is currently not, um, not in her life on a day-to-day basis. And so because of that, I think she hears my son say, mom, 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 mom. And every once in a while she'll call me mom. And I just don't pay it any attention. Like, I don't No, you can't call me that. I don't, I don't say that, you know, I just, just roll on, you know, you get to control that situation um, and how you respond to that. But I do have foster parent families that I'm friends with. They call themselves middle mama and middle daddy. Um, especially if they know that they're in the situation where it truly is temporary and transitional and the kid is struggling with Miss Crystal or Mr. Michael, maybe that's too much. So they call them like M&M for middle mama and MD for middle daddy. And, uh, and so that has helped the the three-year-old to just articulate a little bit better because he still sees his, his biological mom. And so, you know, that can be confusing. So that's what they go by if, if names are important, but. All right. So as we're kind of talking about athletic trainers and um, how that shapes our healthcare, but if you, you know, I've, I've been in conversations on like the secondary school Facebook group 
about athletic trainers wanting to be foster parents or adopting and but they just don't feel like they can do it so what would you say to those athletic trainers that are considering it or have heard of people doing it but never consider it for themselves what would be some words of encouragement um, or words of truth that you would speak to them about foster care and adoption being a parent comes from your heart and it is, it'd be difficult to adopt as an athletic trainer, but it's difficult to have a biological child as an athletic trainer. And, and, and if that's what you want and if that's what your heart wants, then you find a way to make it work. It, it, you know, you do what you have to do. You do what you need to do. And people who don't have the heart for it, don't consider adoption. So if they're already thinking about it, they'll make it work. They'll get it done. I second what Jennifer says. <laughs> I think that, yeah, it's what, you know, if you're meant to and, and your heart is in the right place for it, you find a way to make it work. Just like with our athletes and our schedules and things like that. Like I never said yes to something that I couldn't do that. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't follow through on. If I really didn't feel like I could do it. And I, you know, my answer today is no, but when you, when you pick to parent a kid Though it is hard, biological or not, um, it does. Bio, like like we've all said, biology doesn't necessarily make family. Um, you know, it's you're gonna get reward. It's it's really rewarding to get to invest in a in a kid's life, whether or not you get them at eight years old or sixteen or twenty four hours old. I, there's a the, the, the reward outweigh, outweighs the risk and the time that you put into it. You know, I've just, you, Jeremy, talking about fostering, it's, it's totally different than what I experienced or Jennifer experienced as a kid, but now she's experiencing some version of fostering. Um, every family that I know that fosters, though, they'll send me a text and be like, how do I answer this question? Like, I don't, I don't know how to say like your mom, made poor decisions, you know, and that's why you're mine now, you know? And I'm like, just tell her you love her. Like, cause you do, you know, and tell, you know, her mom, though she made poor decisions, loved her enough to sign on the dotted line, even if it was temporary to give you something that they could not give you a mom or a dad. And, um, you just keep loving them. You know, my, a personal saying for myself is I, I love God. So in turn, I love people. And if the opportunity presented itself and somebody knocked on my door to foster a kid, as much as it would probably rock my world, like if I'm in the position to do it, um, I like Mama Jay, I have an open heart about it and think it presents itself to people who really want it to be presented to. Fostering can be hard um, just because you're you're potentially getting a kid into your home that has past trauma so they're dealing with a lot of things that you as their foster parent would have to help them work through um, like for me I had trauma coming into my new home just because I, I remembered so much of my my birth home like I remember things that happened and that stays with you like that affects you and so I remember having my now adopted mom um, sit with me while I was crying at night or just consoling me, just doing motherly things. And so I know that 
it was hard from her standpoint too. I think for her, like seeing how much change that she was able to put into my mine and my little sister's life, the opportunities that we were given because of the impact that she and my dad both had on us. And we've grown into who we are today. And it, we definitely wouldn't be where we anywhere where we are today if it hadn't been for them coming in, taking us into their home and raising us with two parents that love us unconditionally. So to, in I my don't. mind, too, that's a unique, special situation because they stepped in without um, it's not like like my parents couldn't have children, considered their options, decided on adoption, went through the process. Your parents were faced with a problem that they needed to solve and that they felt they had a heart to solve. And, you know, they didn't necessarily approach it with planning. And I mean, I'm sure they planned, but it's not like they're like, hey we need to adopt a child. Let's, you know, whatever. They were faced with a situation and they wanted to um, address that situation, you know, by stepping up and, and welcoming you into their home. And that, that to me is a whole nother unique situation, you know, to step in because you have to, and, and you feel compelled to. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so we have three biological kids. We have uh, eight, six, and or a ten, eight, and six-year-old boys, and we don't need any more kids, right? It wasn't like, oh, we don't have kids. Oh, we need, you know, an extra kid, and we don't need to have a girl, right? But it was like we have a solid, stable home, and these kids deserve the opportunity to have that, to grow up with something like that, even if it's just for a short time, and and that has always been our motivation in signing up for. Uh, Ours, we wanted to do adoption through foster care, but then we weren't getting any um, kids or whatever that would, that would fit into our home. So it was either there was, you know, a group of four kids or whatever. And so the state has rules about how many kids and the size of the house and how many kids can be in the house and nothing. But when we opened up to foster care, you know, and again, we knew the goal of foster care, just like Kelsey said, is to restore the family so to put the family back together, that's the goal of foster care. And we know that. And then we know that our job is to just love on those kids and give them stability through the trauma that they've experienced for the time that they have. And so my, my job isn't to fix it or to be there forever daddy, but it's to love on them while I have them. If I get the opportunity to adopt this baby that we have, then then that, that's what we hope for. But we also know that that means that another family is permanently like torn apart, permanently displaced. And so in each of these situations, they said they feel like it was a better situation for the kid in the end. But, you know, it, it, you have to consider all of the different things that go with that. Um, and again, for us, it was only about providing a, a home a safe place for these kids that didn't have that. And so as athletic trainers, we do that often. We're providing a safe place in the athletic training facility. Um, kids can come in and talk. And, you know, as I've been talking, learning about the patient reported outcomes, the patient centered approach to athletic training, healthcare, um, the sitting down and you're talking to them because some of them are used to being scolded and, you know, beaten or things like that, you know, just making them more comfortable. There, there's so much that I've learned through all the classes through foster care. Um, and I would, I will answer any questions that somebody has about foster care, about, 
we haven't done adoption, um, but I've shared it, shared parts of the story throughout the podcast since we've, since we've been fostering. Um, but if someone has questions and wants to get a hold of Jennifer, Kelsey, or Deanna, I have those, uh, their emails in the show notes. Jennifer, is there a better way to get a hold of you? I was going to say, yeah, email is probably the easiest or the best, whatever. Um, I'm on social media. However, um, uh, my social media is just my name, <laughs> nothing fancy or whatever. So I'm um, easy to track down. Um, but um, yeah, and I would say, Jeremy, too, I, that I, fostering, that's a whole nother level of special I, to, to have a clearly have a heart for these children and to know that they may leave as like amazing i don't <laughs> i'm so impressed with people who do that and so i want to keep them they're mine now <laughs> so yeah uh, <laughs> when when the first set left it was one of the toughest days we only had them for 20 days but it was sisters and and you just get so attached and it was really tough but we weren't like all right we can't do this anymore we're like okay well we've, we've learned some that hurts We'll never forget them. We, as a family, paint a Christmas ornament every year. So on our family Christmas ornament, we had something that symbolized their names on our Christmas ornament that year because it was a big part of our life for, for that year. So uh, they will forever be remembered in our household. Kelsey, someone wants to get a hold of you. I have your email, your school email here. Is that the best way? Yeah, or social media. Like Jennifer said, I'm on all platforms, I think, possible. So that's a good way to all right so you could search for jennifer reeling or kelsey graham on social media or again i have their emails on the show notes and then dina um yeah email emails fine or social media my last name um is melasa and people struggle with pronouncing that or spelling that it looks like melancon melancon um but uh but yeah that's pretty much easy to easy to get in touch with. Um, there was something I was going to say about your fostering. Um, but I've, I've lost it is about, you know, just loving them through like the season that they're in, whether it's temporary or extended, you know, that's how we are with our athletes too. You know, mm-hmm. we, we love them for four years or we love them for their senior year. If they came to us for just one year, you know, I think everybody comes in and out of your life um, for either a season or a lifetime or a couple seasons or, you know, and those kids that you have the ability to make an impact on, um, you know, for 20 days, those girls are going to, you gave them something that they're going to remember. And I think every foster family that I know has probably had their kids for at least like two weeks at minimum. And I really think in those two weeks though, you know, you're pouring into them, but you're being changed also. And uh, just like us with our athletes. Again, if you want to get a hold of anyone here that was on the, the podcast to ask them questions about their story, about adoption, about foster care, about why they chose, you know, mama J or whatever. And with the first set of, with the first set of girls, we'd said, um, daddy jeremy or daddy or mommy sarah um because one of them was old enough to to speak and to to remember those because we started with mom and dad but then it's like it's confusing if they're talking about us or the Mm -hmm. other ones so if you're considering it just ask questions just talk to talk to somebody 
and hopefully just hearing this hearing their their stories and our story that that you're open to it or it at least changes your perspective that some of these kids are dealing with some some really crazy stuff and some of them mm-hmm. just need you to listen and be mom or mama reeling in the athletic training facility just for that time so get a reach out get a hold of one of us figure out how you can help and if it's just like they said if, it, if it's something that you are meant to do something that you desire to do you'll find a way to to make that happen make it work. your schedule um switching your job you know rearranging your life so whatever whatever it takes if that's what you really want to do you'll find a way this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash adopted ATs. So ATS, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash adopted ATS. And that'll have the ways to get a hold of them and then some of the notes that I've typed up as we're talking. Any final words of wisdom, parting thoughts before I close it out, Jennifer? Uh, no, just uh, I think most athletic trainers do have open hearts. And that's what brings us where we are and makes us so... Um, safe havens for our kids and we advocate for them all the time we stand between them and a coach who wants them to play when they're not ready and all that and um you know we have that collective personality and so it, that carries over it, it carries over both ways work carries into your home uh, personality and vice versa so uh if you're thinking about it just know you're probably already more than halfway there <laughs> kelsey um I think like what Jennifer said, athletic trainers, we have a want to make a positive impact on students and athletes. So fostering an adoption is a great way to make a positive lifetime impact on, on kids. So I'm good. Just following up with them. You know, it's all this, it's all the same. You know, you, you have the opportunity as an athletic trainer to take care of people's most prized possession for most people, their kids. Right. And, um, so just keep loving them and keep being great athletic trainers um, day in and day out. And uh, your impact will be felt. And like Jennifer said, if you're, if you're thinking about it, you're probably almost already there anyway. So might as well just commit. <laughs> Jump in, get it done. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm telling you. Like my husband's mom owns a daycare and they have, they have, they take foster kids all the time. And, you know, basically when we started, first started dating, he was like, you know, if the opportunity presented itself, I was like, yeah, cause I'm not birthing another one. Like the first one tried to kill me. So if the opportunity presents itself. Then, uh, then yeah, like I obviously, obviously, you know, where we are right now, we just really love each other and we're still in a honeymoon stage. And so we just want each other all the time. But, um, if, if our, our, if our home fulfills a need, uh, then I think we'd probably do it. I mean, we do it all the time with our kids, like you said. So all right, well, for Jeremy, again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash AT. So for Jeremy, Deanna, Kelsey, and Jennifer, that is a wrap. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.